Thank you, guys. It's um, a great opportunity to be able to, to, to share with you today, to be able to look into God's Word with you. Go ahead and turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. And um, it's really cool to be able to um, start off our service with um, such good worship, being able to look at a lot of the things that we're going to look at today. Um, a lot of the songs that we've sung this morning are, are straight from God's Word, which are so often the case in the songs that we sing. And, um, and as we're looking into God's Word today, I want you to, there in Ephesians 4, we're going to jump around to a couple of different letters of Paul today. Um, but we're going to be looking at this idea today of, um, of, of our special relationship together as Christians, especially within the church. And um, it's, it's kind of cool that we get to start off with a call to the Philippines. Um, one of my personal experiences anytime I've been to the Philippines is that whenever we go on a trip like that, the, the people that we go with, you form a special bond with them. Uh, many of our youth just came back from camp a few weeks ago, and um, they probably, many of them, I've, I've kind of actually seen some of them this week as they've been hanging out up here at the church for some special events Wade's been doing, and um, it, you can tell that the bonds between them grow the more time they spend together, the more that they go off, and I remember that myself from those types of experiences, and, 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 and this week we go off on our children's camp this week, and I know that the same will be true for many of our kids there. And, and it's like that with, with the Philippines as well, with that team that's there. They form a unique relationship that wasn't there before. We're very intentional when we go, um, especially now that, that we lead up to the time with team meetings and prayer together and, and focus times together to be able to talk about what to, what to expect, but not only that, how we pray for each other. And, and that helps to bond the team together beforehand, but being on the field together, um, there's nothing that can replace that in, in joining us together, uniting us together in the work that we do. And today we're going to be talking about how as a church we are to be united together. Not just as a youth group, not just as a Philippines team, not just as individuals doing individual ministries together, but overall as an entire church, we are united together. I talk about the Philippines and I see Chuck right over here. And Chuck and I have been two, three times together in the Philippines, two times. Yeah, and, and there's jokes that Chuck and I can pass through the hall. He can say something to me. And, you know, there's things that Chuck can say to me now that he never would have said before, you know. And same thing with me and Chuck, you know, back and forth. We'll, we'll play around with each other, but there's things that he can encourage me in ways that I wouldn't have understood before. We've walked together through a certain time together. There's people in this room that I've never been to the Philippines with, but they've been before. And, and I can talk to them about the Philippines, and they can share their experiences. I can, I can share mine, and we have a common connection in that way. But it's not just things like that. It's not just areas like that, but the entire church as a whole can be united together in that same type of relationship. But it takes intentionality. Often in our culture, we, we are faced in so many ways to stay connected now. I remember that when I moved here in 2002, I had a friend that told me about Facebook. It's like, what is Facebook? Is that like MySpace? I don't like MySpace. You know, I didn't care about MySpace. You know, it was just kind of weird. But Facebook, he's like, yeah, Facebook, it's cool. It's like more for adults, you know, it's not MySpace, you know. So he told me about Facebook. So I went and got a Facebook page, you know, and got it all set up, brand new, 2002. Facebook's like everywhere now. Everybody knows what Facebook is. We got kids that we had to keep from getting Facebook pages because they're really not old enough to even be on there, right, you know. So we've got Facebook everywhere. We've got Twitter everywhere. We've got all these different things. We've got the path. We've got all these different blogs. We've got all these ways that we're all connected, and everybody knows a lot about each other. I can tell you where half of you went to dinner last night probably if I wanted to. You know, I mean, we know a lot about each other. But how connected are we really? How connected do we truly stay? Information is not a true relationship together. And though I may know a lot and I may be able to check Facebook and find out what all my friends are doing, all 500, 600, 700, whatever I've got now, I can find out what all my friends all over the southeast are doing, but how much am I truly connected with them? And so in a world where connectedness is so easy, but real connections are so hard, today we're going to talk about how we are united together in Christ. 
and how in Christ we can have genuine connections that truly join us together. And it's not just a superficial, but it can be walking through life together. It can be going through life together for His glory and for His purposes. Ephesians chapter 4, it's a changeover in the book of Ephesians. I encourage you to go back and look and read the whole book of Ephesians. It's short. You can do it this afternoon. It won't take you long. Ephesians 1 through 3 is a foundation. It lays out the, the theology that Paul is laying out for these, these churches in Asia Minor. And it gives an explanation of who Christ is, who God is, who the Spirit is, and helps them understand how they can live in Christ, what their relationship in Christ looks like, what grace looks like. Look at Ephesians 1 through 3. Ephesians 4, 1 becomes a major changing point in the rest of Ephesians to help us understand how this works, how we live it out, what it looks like practically, what it looks like in the home, what it looks like in the workplace. But it starts with our relationships within the church here in Ephesians 4, 1. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, we're going to start with verse 1 there. It says, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. It starts off very beginning. Paul says, I'm a prisoner in jail under house arrest most likely, but he says, I'm a prisoner for the Lord, and here's what I'm going to tell you. I want you to live a life that's worthy of the calling that you have received. See, Paul has given us that, that we as believers, we're called to be united together. We're going to look at these practices, and the very first practice that he says is that we need to live out our callings. Number one, live out your calling. As a believer in Christ, you have been called. As a believer in Christ, you have been called. You are called one of His. You are called His child. You've been called out of darkness and into light. You are called one of His. Now, this calling is not just about being a ministry staff person. It's not just about being a pastor or a missionary, an evangelist. As a believer in Christ, Christ has a calling on your life. You belong to Him. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, then He has made you one of His own through the work that He has done. And so he tells these believers, he says, live in a way that is worthy of the calling that you have received. And in 1995, I read a book called Experiencing God. went through a Bible study. It changed things for me. I went from planning on going to college to be a, a, high, a high school English teacher to thinking about what if God's calling me in a different direction. It, it challenged me to look and see. Look at the areas where God is working and then go and join Him there. So many times we want to say, what's God's will for my life? I mean, I was at a time coming out of high school thinking, what is God's will for my life? What does God have planned for me? Well, it taught me to think about not just what does God have planned for me, but what does God have planned for this world? What is God doing, and how does he want me to be a part of that? See, it's a bigger picture than just my one little part. He's got a bigger calling on every one of us than just the one part that we play. He goes on, he says, Be completely humble and gentle. This is how we live a life that's worthy of the calling that we have received. He says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You can see in these verses that the way that we live a life worthy of the calling that we have received comes out in gentleness, it comes out in peace, it comes out in patience, it comes out in love. And overall, it's a priority on keeping unity within the body of Christ. See, when we look back at the first church of the New Testament and we look at Acts, Sometimes we stay in those chapters where it talks about that, that thousands and thousands were being added at every day and they were growing and growing. And it's a great time in the church and it's great to look at and see how amazing God was working there and how all these things were going on. And every day more and more people came. And it says that every day they met together in their homes and they met together in the temple and they prayed and they worshiped God. They broke bread together. They ate together. They fellowshiped together. And we think, man, our church, we're so, you know, if we could be like that, you know, if we really could stay connected like that, and we think about the New Testament church and we think that's all it was. But then you read the book of Corinthians 
and you read about the church in Corinth, and you find out that they actually were having a little bit of problems as things went on. As the gospel spread, churches in the New Testament weren't always so different than our churches could be sometimes today. In the book of Corinth, this church was really having some major issues. In the book of of, of Corinthians to the church in Corinth, Paul wrote a letter to say, you come together, and you come together to take the Lord's Supper. And not only do you have the bread and the wine, but you have this great feast, and everybody can come and eat, and that's great. And that was a practice that the early Christians had, that when they came to take the Lord's Supper, it was a meal. But the problem was, people started showing up early. And they'd show up early and eat everything before everybody else got there. Not the kind of church fellowship that you want to have, you know? That's like when the potluck runs out. You don't want that kind of church fellowship. You want to make sure you got enough for everybody at the table. Well, people were showing up and taking their more than their fair share, and they weren't thinking about other people in the church. They were just coming and enjoying the meal. And they weren't thinking of others who were going to be coming behind them. They weren't thinking about the poor people who might be coming, and this might be one of their few meals all week. And they weren't sharing with those there in their own congregations. Here in, Philipp- in Ephesians, Paul is reminding these churches in Asia Minor of what type of lifestyle their church should have, how they should have the unity that shows that they are living a life that's worthy of their calling in Christ. He goes on, he says in verse 4, he says, There is one body and there is one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. That's the hope of salvation, of eternal life. He says, There's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism. There's one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We are called to be united together. We're not called to all be our own people, individually separate, living our lives just coming together once or twice a week. But our lives are intended to be grafted together as the body of Christ. That we live, we serve, we do it all for His glory, and we do it together. So not only do we live out this calling, but also... We work out God's grace. We work out God's grace. I'm going to try to be quick because in the first hour I was long-winded, they said. So I'm going to try to be quick for you. So y'all keep up with me. We're going to go fast. We work out God's grace because there's a lot to look at right here. Christ has given his grace according to his own apportions. Look at this. It says in verse 7, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That means he's the one that gave it out. He's the one that divided up. And he quotes Psalm 68 in verse 8 here. It says, this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train. And then Paul starts to paraphrase here and add something a little bit different. Because in Psalm 68 it says, he took gifts. But in here, he's taking this this analogy to Psalm 68. He says, this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train, and he gave gifts to men. He goes on, he says, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions... He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. He's talking about Jesus Christ. He's talking about how Christ humbled himself, as it says in Philippians. He humbled himself even to the point of a cross, even to the point of death and the grave. And he's saying he descended to the lowest of the low among us. And he descended so that he could ascend, so that he could rise again, taking our sin if you read in Psalm 68, it's a psalm of David. It's a psalm of victory, of how he returned the ark back to the tabernacle, how he took it back to God's holy hill. And he took the tabernacle back, and as he did, he went singing. And he said, God has destroyed our enemies. He's brought back the captives. And he's not talking about taking prisoners from a foreign land. He's saying those of us who were captive, we go in his train. We go in his parade. We go behind him. He takes us home. And so Jesus Christ himself He came down to us where we were. He took our sin. 
He defeated death, hell, and the grave. He ascended back to heaven, taking us, his captives, home. His prisoners of war, freed. And so we are united in him in this way. And so he gives us grace. So it's, first of all, the grace of our salvation. It's the salvation that he's given to us when we trust in Jesus Christ. But secondly, it's also grace to be able to serve him, to be able to do for him what he's called us to do. Look in verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets, some to to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers. These first two groups, apostles and prophets, these were the groups of the New Testament. These were the ones who were founding the church on Jesus Christ. They were sharing the gospel and going around. They were the ones who the gospels were given to, who the letters were written through, through Jesus Christ. And these apostles and prophets were the foundation working to found the church on Jesus Christ. And then going on, it has the evangelists, those who share the good news, those who share the gospel, and the pastors, the shepherds, and the teachers, the ones within the churches that would stay and, and nurture and build up the kingdom of God there for Jesus Christ. So it says that Jesus Christ has chosen all of these people, all of these ones who serve in these ways, to be able to do these things. But look at verse 12. He does this to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So the whole purpose of all of these different people that are acting out and using the gifts that God's given them is to build up others to be able to go and serve and do works of service, to be servants, to be servants to others within the church and to see the body of Christ built up. And it's not just for growth. It's not just for numbers but it's to see us come fully into understanding who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us. I read a book recently, and it was called Leading on Empty, and the whole point of it was talking about that as ministers, and, and, and it's not just for pastors, it's for church leaders, for anyone doing ministry. So many times we can get so busy doing the ministry that our tanks can get empty. And one of the things he talks about in there is that, that we need to make sure that we've got others around us who are joining in the work. See, the job of a pastor is not just to do all the work all the time all by himself. If our pastor, Pastor Brooks, if he did every job that needed to be done in this church all the time all by himself, eventually he's going to break. None of us can do all the work all by ourselves. None of us can handle it all by ourselves. You know, maybe if there's a few, maybe a few can do all the work all by themselves. Eventually they're going to break. And it's not just this church, it's every church, it's every Every church throughout the whole nation, throughout the whole world that God's called, that he's called us as believers to join together. He's called us as believers to be bigger than just one person. All of us, we all have Jesus Christ. All of us have the power of the Holy Spirit. But he calls us to join together, to be more than just one person, to be more than just one individual. He's given every person unique gifts. He's given every person unique abilities so that when we come together, we are part of a whole. And in that way... We're so strong that Christ can do amazing things through us. It's greater than any one of us can do on our own. And we're not relying solely on our own strength. Not only do we have God's word, not only do we have the Holy Spirit, not only do we have um, the great teachings of the faith, but we have each other to strengthen us, to help us, to help us understand God's will for our lives. These are gifts that God's given to us to work through us. And he uses each one of us. In this passage, it doesn't break down other gifts, but if you look in Corinthians, if you look in Romans, if you look at at different descriptions, you'll see that there are people who are gifted in many ways. Yes, there are those that were the apostles and the prophets, and there's pastors, there's teachers, but there's also people who are gifted in administration, people who are gifted in helping others, 
people who are gifted in serving others. Not that all of us aren't called on at some time to do some of these things, but every one of us have specific gifts and specific personalities that God has given to us that he's developed and shaped us in a way so that we can be used for his kingdom. And, and if only one of us or only three of us or only ten of us are doing all the work, then we're not getting a full picture of what Jesus Christ intended his church to look like. Every one of us are gifted in a unique ways, and he's given us the grace, not only the grace through our redemption, not only the grace unmerited, unworked for, that we don't deserve, a grace that comes by faith through his grace alone, salvation in him, but he's also given us grace that continues on, the grace to be able to serve him, the strength to be able to, to work for him, to be able to live for him. And these are things that God has already given to us, so we have to work this out. We have to put it into practice. We have to put it into practice as we're united together. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, just a few pages back, you'll see he's explaining this grace. He explains the grace of salvation and also the grace for what God's given us. He says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, it says that God is crafting in us a masterpiece. He's making us into who he wants us to be, to do good things for him, for his glory. As it would say in Matthew chapter 5, that, that we're the salt of the earth, we're a city on the hill, we're a light that can't be hidden, and it's all for his glory. He wants us to, to show others how great he is. He wants to work through our lives and through the gifts that he's given us so that we can lead others to know him. So are you working out the grace that God's put into your life? You may not have made the first step to become a Christian. Maybe you don't understand the grace that we're talking about. Grace means, a simple explanation that some like to say, is that it's, it's God's riches at Christ's expense. It's unmerited favor. That means it's nothing that you deserve. It's not by anything that you deserve. The Bible says that every one of us, that the wages or the payment, what we deserve for our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, but it comes through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's not by any good thing that we do, but it's completely in faith by His grace. So that's the first step, understanding that first calling to Jesus Christ, understanding that He's called every one of us who will accept Him to trust and follow Him, but then living our lives in that grace, continuing on. And that leads to the last part, that we build up Christ's body. We build up Christ's body. Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 14 through 16. says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. These are the effects of what happens when we grow up and we mature and we understand the fullness of Christ, how great He is. We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. This means that we're going to understand what's right and wrong. We're not going to be able to be tricked by false doctrine. Things that don't sound quite right we will be able to test by God's word. We'll have the strength of our brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage us and help us grow in this too. And it says that we'll go on instead of these types of things, being passed back and forth. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I didn't know what a ligament was until I tore one one day. How many of you ever had that? You didn't know what good a bone did until you broke it, right? You didn't realize what that was. And think about that. It says that we're knit together 
where every part supports the other by every ligament. I tore my ACL, scoring a touchdown. Just kidding. <laughs> no. I wish I'd been taking out somebody on the line, you know, or something. No, I was in a church drama. They threw me down some stairs, <laughs> tore my ACL. It's about three steps. But when you land on this knee on a concrete floor, that's not good. Yeah, so a ligament is an important thing. I got up and I said, I think I dislocated my knee. They said, you can't do that. And I said, I did it. I did it. It's not right. Something's not good. And it's just, I stand up and, whoa, there we go again. So it wasn't until the swelling came in place that it finally immobilized. But it was not good. A ligament is an important thing. The analogy of Christ as the body is, goes throughout Paul's letters. He says, we are the body of Christ. If you turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he gives some really cool pictures here. And um, it's really cool to think about, about how this analogy helps us to understand our relationship with Christ and how we are a part of him and how he works and moves in and through, not just me, but in through all of us. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, says the body is a unit, it's one. Though it's made up of many parts, and though all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. Look down in verse 14. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Okay, think about that. The body's not made up of one part, but of many. How many of you have ever seen Monsters, Inc. before? Ever seen Monsters, Inc.? The kids in here know what I'm talking about, right? It's it's a couple of years old, but you know this one. There's this monster in Monsters, Inc. I won't go into the whole plot and everything for you, but there's this little monster. He's not a mean monster. He's a good monster. He's a nice guy, Mike Wazowski, and he's green, and he's one big eyeball. He does have legs, and he does have arms, he does have ears. He's got one eye, and he's got a little mouth. But he's got one big eyeball. I mean, basically, Mike Wazowski is an eyeball walking around. Eyeball. I mean, he's a strange-looking creature. And you see that, and you know this, this isn't right. I mean, this isn't normal. You know, it's a weird little monster. So that's Mike Wazowski. Well, think about this. Think and look at what 1 Corinthians 12 says. It says, If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. Your foot cannot suddenly decide that it's just going to walk off and be a part of nothing. It can't just decide that it's not important anymore. Well, I'm in this stinky shoe covered up with these socks and nobody ever sees me and I'm just a foot down here. It can't do that. It can't choose to not be a part of the body. If you are a Christian, you're part of the body, like it or not. You can't choose to be independent. You're part of the body. And so even though my foot may feel like my hand is so much more you know, out there and doing so much many more things, the foot's important and doesn't realize how important it is. Because the foot is what gets me there. If I have a pain in my foot, I feel it for the days that come. A couple of weeks ago, I bruised my heel. It drove me crazy for two weeks. If your foot hurts, you know it because you walk on it all day long. And that foot is so important. And the Bible, the Bible says here in Corinthians that when one of us hurts, the rest of the body should feel it. When one of us has pain, the rest of his body should feel it. When one of us looks at ourselves and says, well, I'm not an eye, I'm just an ear. You know, the eye's on the front, it gets to see everything. I should be an eye, I shouldn't be an ear. But when one of us says that, the Bible says that that makes no sense. The whole body cannot be an eye. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But God, in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but there's one body. He goes on to say that 
that, that we are the body of Christ in verse 27, and each of you is a part of it. We are the body of Christ, and the Bible will tell us in Ephesians and in Corinthians that he is our head. He is the one who leads us. In modern terms, he's our brain. He's the nerve center. He's the one that leads us. He's the one that thinks and tells us what we should do and where we should go and how we should live. Often when I'm meeting with children and I explain the gospel to them, we talk about um, what it means to choose to follow Christ. And I'll say, this means he's your boss. When you say he's your Lord, he's your boss. He's the one that tells you where you go. So when you're choosing what is right and what is wrong, you go to Christ first. If you don't know what's right and wrong, you ask him what's right and wrong. Let him tell you what's right and wrong because he's your boss now. You let him be the one in control. That's what we mean when we say we as the body of Christ, we follow him. He's our head. A few weeks ago, I got to see again for, for maybe the sixth time here at this church, a, a great week of vacation Bible school. And we get to see this little week where all of a sudden we're doing all these cool things all at one time. And I get to see so many people take on different parts in the body of Christ. And, and we're missing, uh, you know, different people along the way, of course. The body of Christ is collective. It's all of us. It's not just individuals, one or one small group of us. But it was cool to see how so many people serve in so many different ways. We had people serving in the parking lot. We had guys that were on our security team. They joke about it. They think it's not serious. I tell them, it is serious. You know, I want you to make sure that we don't have strangers wandering around that we don't know about. We've got a lot of kids on property. They make sure the freezy pops are taken care of and that, you know, that none of them are poisoned and that the break room stays under control for us. So, I mean, the, the security team is an important job, but, but it is an important job. They help us maintain order and security in a lot of ways from the beginning of the night to the end of the night. We've got people that serve on registration teams. They, they see the kids as they arrive. They welcome them. They make sure they're settled. They talk to the moms and dads. They're not going to be with the kids most of the night, but they're still a part of Vacation Bible School. We've got people that are serving all over property from crafts rooms to recreation times outside to, to Bible study classrooms, large groups and small groups and all these different ways. And every person's using the gifts that God's given them to do some amazing things. Now, how would it look if only about five or six people showed up to do that job? We probably wouldn't get nearly as much done. We had over 140 people here that served during that week. And it was amazing to see so many people take different roles. And that's not just one week during the year. On this Sunday morning alone, you will see many people who've taken many roles this, this day to serve God and be a part of the body of Christ, to, to do their part and to be a part. And what's interesting is that, that so many in our church play a part in that role. And it's not just about what you do. It's also about being here, being an encouragement to others. God may not necessarily put you up on a platform or in front of a class, but he may have you be a part of a small group where you can encourage and pray for others, you can connect with others, and you can be an encouragement to them throughout the week. We have ones in our church that have been with us many, many years. We've got ones that are just starting out back in the nursery. And all of them are part of the body of Christ. When we trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we follow after him. He brings us into his body. And he leads us and guides us from there. So I want to encourage you to think about what are you doing to build up the body of Christ? How are you working through the gifts that God's given you to serve others and to lead others? We've got ones that, Miss um, Betty Barnett, is she in here today? I don't know if she's here today. I don't know if she got to make it. Today's her 86th birthday. Her 80th birthday was served out on the Philippines mission trip a couple of years back. Last year, the, um, last week, 
uh, Mr. and Mrs. Jamie. They celebrated their, their 70th wedding, wedding anniversary. We've got saints in our church that um, have a testimony. They can look back at what God's done in their lives. They can look back and see how God's been faithful to them. We've got people who can give the same types of testimonies that I gave even just now of, of how God's worked in their life, how He's started to work in them so that they, they see things that He's doing, that, that He's starting to grow them, He's starting to change them. Wherever you are, Christ wants to use you to build up His body. He wants to work through you to help others, to be a light, to be an example for others. We are not called to live out this Christian life all by ourselves. Some people, they want to say, why do I got to go to church? The Bible didn't say I had to go to church. It did, though. I mean, Paul actually said, don't start quitting going to church. He said it in a little fancier language. Do not forsake the assembling together of yourselves. He said, don't quit going to church. That's basically what he was saying. Don't quit meeting together. Stay together. You go off by yourself, and eventually, this world's going to have trouble. And you have Jesus Christ. And he can give you a lot of strength, but he's also given you his body here on earth to strengthen you, to love you, to encourage you. You are a part of that body if you know Jesus Christ. So I encourage you, draw close to his body. Draw close to his people. Let him change you. Let him work through you. See what God wants you to do. See how he is working. Not just what job do I have next or where should I live, where do my kids go to school. But God, what are you doing and what do you want me to do in that, Lord? How do you want me to be a part of that? Let's pray right now. Heads bowed, eyes closed. As we go to the Lord in prayer, Mark's going to come and pray for us, or come and play for us. And just want to encourage you, if you're here today, and that first step of grace that I was talking about, you've never taken it. You can do that today. We have people here that would love to talk with you and pray with you and let you know about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to truly follow Christ, like I was talking about, to let him be your boss, to let him take your sins away and you to be made new. Maybe you're here today and you just want to take some time to pray through this and, and think about what God may be calling you to do. There's lots of ways to be a part of Christ's body. There's small groups that meet every single week where you can join with other believers and you can learn about Christ together. You can learn about his word together. You can go through life together in fellowship and encouragement to each other. Maybe God's calling you to a greater level of service. God calls us to equip each other, to build each other up to serve each other. So whatever God may be leading you to do today, I want you to pray about it and just think through how he may be leading you. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for a letter written so many years ago, Lord, that, that we know ultimately it comes from you, Lord. You inspired it. You left it for us, Lord. We pray, God, that you help us to take your words to heart. Help us to understand them. Help us to understand the fullness of Christ, Lord, how great you are. That you've done so many great and wonderful things. and Not that you had to, but you did it completely out of your love for us. We pray, Lord, that you help us to unite together as a body. Lord, we thank you that you call us as your children and you make us a family. That together we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. Lord, help us to, um, to have the unity that you call us to. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us a church that is in so many ways already so united, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the unity that's here, the, the peace that we serve with, and the, the, um, the love that we have for one another, Lord. Lord, we pray that you make that stronger and stronger. We pray, Lord, that you, um, you show us ways to serve you, that we work out the gifts that you've given to us, and we follow you with everything that we have. 
Lord, as we go into this time, just lead us and guide us. Show us the steps we need to take. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.